I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Hello and welcome to the RHS Gardening Podcast. I'm Guy Barter and in today's plantastic episode we're heading out to the trials field at Wisley to meet the teams that put plants through their paces to earn the coveted Award of Garden Merit or AGM. By assessing varieties for superior performance and pest and disease and weather resistance, our trials teams save gardeners time and money and effort. AGM plants give you, as they say, more bang for your buck. Plus, begonias, the star of hanging baskets all over the UK. Begonias recently took both first and second places in this year's People's Choice Plant Awards. We debate the merits of a range of award-winning varieties. But first... A mystery is solved. While examining a box of archives from 1898, the Lindley Library staff came across some intriguing records. These were a series of correspondence regarding a Miss Harrison who came first in a nationwide competition to test gardening knowledge. The prize was a prestigious RHS Horticultural Scholarship, a reward she was denied, however, because she was a woman. Intrigued by these letters, Head of Libraries and Exhibitions Fiona Davison set about finding out more about Miss Harrison and what had become of her. After hitting repeated dead ends in her research, she appealed for information on BBC Breakfast and within days Miss Harrison's fascinating story was uncovered. We are busy trying to do research into the history of training at the RHS to get ready for the Wisley redevelopment, where we'll be creating displays to explain Wisley's role as a centre for learning and experimentation in horticulture. So we've been dragging boxes out of the archive of all papers to do with training And we uncovered a little parcel of letters wrapped in blue paper, about three or four letters, which quite intrigued us. And it seemed to relate to an examination which the RHS ran in the 1890s called the Principles and Practice of Horticulture. And students from across the country were invited each year to sit the exam. And the idea was that the top student each year would be offered a scholarship of £25 a year for two years and a year to study at the RHS Garden in Chiswick. And this little parcel of letters related to an occasion in 1898 when a woman came top and that seemed to send the RHS into a complete spin. So we've got letters which show the RHS trying to get legal advice on what to do about this 
shocking incident of a woman beating all the men because the scholarship involving the year to train at Chiswick, Chiswick had never taken women. And the RHS had no intention that it ever should. And so they were seeking legal advice to see, well, what can we legally deny this student the scholarship? Because nowhere had the RHS written in the rules for the examination that women couldn't get the scholarship. So this little package of letters we've got of their time phrases along the lines of it was never anticipated that a woman would beat a man so that's why we didn't write it in the rules and that just was such an intriguing story but there are a lot of gaps in our knowledge because the letters don't give a first name and the letters didn't give an address we could tell from the letters that miss harrison who came top was a student at swanley horticultural college and that's in Kent, and that was one of the few colleges that would accept women. It had about half a dozen women studying there. And so we put out an appeal to ask, does anybody out there think they're a relative of Miss Harrison? Do you have any papers? Can we track her down? And what became of her? What happened after the RHS turned her down? So we did that, and we got an amazing response. And it turns out that Miss Harrison, we misspelled her name. She was spelt with two R's and two S's. We only used one. And her real name is Olive Mary Harrison. She went to Swanley and went to Swanley very young. She was only 15. So she was only about 17 or 18 when she took the exam and came top. And we found out that she went on to be a professional gardener after being turned down by us. And she worked for George Cadbury in Bourneville, outside of Birmingham. She didn't work there for long because she did what Edwardian women did. She got married and then stopped working. That was kind of what you did. But she was clearly a very good gardener and the Cadburys remembered her because the family say that every Christmas until George Cadbury's death in the 50s, she'd get a parcel of chocolates at Christmas to say thank you, which is really nice. She sounds like a remarkable woman. She was tiny. She was about four foot nine. She was a Quaker, very shy and retiring, didn't talk about her achievements, but gardened all her life and kept her garden immaculate. And in fact, even as a very old lady, would do the neighbours' gardens, even though they were younger than her, she would look after their gardens. So she sounds like a lovely lady and a really, a pioneer really, even though the RHS turned her down. To take on a professional career in gardening then was really unusual. And she must have had a lot of character and really been committed to horticulture to go through all of that. Apart from Miss Harrison, another really early occasion when the RHS came under pressure to uh, do more for women was in the war. There was a big groundswell of opinion that with young men off fighting in the front, that this was a perfect time for the RHS to extend its training to women and to admit women to Wisley. And the RHS council minutes at the time record why the RHS said no, that they wouldn't. And that was because they felt that women's admission to Wisley would devalue the training in the eyes of men, that if we allowed women in, it would be seen to be dumbing down horticulture and it wouldn't be a serious profession if ladies did it. So again, it's very of the time and it's very revealing about the attitudes that were prevalent across society. All of this story just shows us how far we've travelled and shows us what women in the past have had to fight against. And I think that it's going to be really interesting to pull together displays which hopefully will be inspirational rather than depressing about that story. 
we're finding such lovely stories, such rich stories, that we're really hopeful that they'll find their way into the exciting displays we're going to be building in the old laboratory at Wisley, where we'll be looking at the history of Wisley the Garden and the RHS and British horticulture. And I also expect that um, we'll probably be ending up doing temporary exhibitions as well, which we hope would be able to travel across the country so a lot of people could see them. Fiona Davison. You can see displays of letters and photographs from the RHS archives and Miss Harrison's family at the Lindley Libraries at RHS Gardens Wisley in Surrey and Harlow Carr in North Yorkshire until the 11th of November. See rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast for links to more details of these and other upcoming RHS events across the country. Now, plant trials. Many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with the RHS's Award of Garden Merit. That's the AGM label you can see prominently displayed on many plants in nurseries and garden centres. This indicates that the variety has successfully passed the rigorous tests of health, performance and weather endurance that the RHS plant trials team have subjected them to. Each year, our trials team tests a wide range of plants to identify the best performing varieties. Scientific regulated tests to save gardeners applying trial and error at home. We went to visit them at Wisley to learn more about their work. My name is Alex Hankey. I'm the trials team leader at RHS Wisley. I'm responsible for the trials field. We have almost 30 trials and also many trials in partner gardens as well. The ones on the trials field at Wisley at the moment range from herbaceous perennials like peony, persicaria, sanguisorba as well as another really popular herbaceous perennial at this time of the year. We also have shrub trials such as hibiscus and lagostromia. And we also have some edible trials as well such as cauliflower. We've also got winter cabbage at the moment and a couple of fruit trials as well in raspberries and blueberries. The cultivation of trials is very, very varied. So if we're looking at something like a shrub, you're testing its response to a certain pruning. For example, with the hibiscus, we've trialled three different pruning methods. Three plants are planted in each row. One is cut quite close to the ground, one is cut to a medium height, and one is left virtually unpruned, seeing how the pruning affects flowering and growth response as well. Some trials are the opposite to the the one I described with the hibiscus, they're, they're very little involvement is needed. It's planting them in a basket, feeding them regularly and just basically allowing them to show off. The purpose of the trials are to win this prestigious AGM award, which is the Award of Garden Merit. This basically gives a stamp of approval that a member of the public is going to buy a plant that has performed really well with us and we can assure that it will almost perform really well in their garden as well. So there is actually four main criteria for this. One is the excellent for ordinary garden use. Another is of its being of good constitution. So this is where the plant is of a nice bushy habit and doesn't get too leggy, for example. Another one is that it's whether it's stable in form and colour. So sometimes plants exhibit this phenomenon known as reversion. So a plant can revert back to a certain colour that its parent was so that this is just to test that it's not doing that that it's staying stable in its uh, flower colour all season long and the fourth is reasonably resistant to pests and diseases so some might be more tasty to an insect some might encourage more black fly or green fly and this test again being a season long 
trial will identify these plants that do have these issues attached. An example of a trial that's done really, really well this year, and it's slightly unknown in the garden world as such, is this the shrub called Lagostromia. We've discovered that it's actually really, really hardy, and it's a beautiful plant that can be grown in either the ground or in a container. It has absolutely beautiful flowers in summer, lasting all the way through to the end of autumn. And this has been particularly commented on by our visitors as being a really, really attractive shrub that is available in gardens. My name is uh, Sabatino Urzo. I'm the trials manager uh, at the RHS. Uh, basically, I am looking after the wider trials program across uh, the society, including off-site locations as well. So how trials are uh, run, organised and structured uh, is all basically organised by me and my team. So the plants that we're trialling at the moment are selected thanks to an RHS committee planning group. So I work very, very close with the seven RHS committee, fruit, veg and herb, joint rock, bulbs, herbaceous, woody, tender ornamental and orchids. So I meet every year with the key representative of each of those committee. And then together we're trying to highlight and prioritise a specific plant within the category within their committee to lay out in a three or four years trials program planning. We don't have a specific criteria. Generally, we tend to look at trends and what is happening in the world and the society objectives. So it's a mixture of looking across the society and across the world what is happening. So we try and generally to link with the horticultural trade and fashion and trends across the UK, but sometimes also uh, internationally as well. The reason why the trials program at the moment is looking at the horticultural trends and then, you know what is happening in the world, it's very, very, very linked and connected because we can actually see in the news how the environment is slightly changing. You know, we sometimes on the news we read that the, the Mediterranean environment is also moving in the northern of Europe. So. Plants will need to adapt, we will need to adapt to the circumstances, and the trials program will need to adapt as well to those issues. Also, sometimes we've got a trial that is cultivated here at Weasley, but also duplicated in a northern environment, or in a northern RHS garden, or in a northern off-site location, because we actually like to see the difference of the growth between a southern environment and a northern environment. Sometimes we do this with vegetables as well, and not just with uh, woody ornamental. Our vegetable trials were um, based here Weasley, but also duplicated the RHS garden uh, in Rosemore in Devon. Uh, and actually the results were quite interesting and slightly different. So it'd be good to have some duplication to get some really, really good uh, outcomes from the evaluation. Alex Hankey and Sabatino Urso from the trials team at RHS Garden Wisley. As before, you can find links to more information on plant trials and the AGM on our podcast page, including the trials database, current trials, and details of how to visit Trials Gardens too to see the teams in action. A side shoot of the Trials Programme is the annual People's Choice Awards. This is an opportunity for visitors to Wisley to tell us their plant preferences by selecting from a list of 84 popular plants being grown on the Trials field. This gives an indication of changing trends and fashions and of what gardens might look like in upcoming years. 
It also helps Alex and Sabatino's teams focus on what plants they might assess in the next few trials, choosing popular plants so that their research provides the most benefit to the most gardeners. This year, Begonias attained first and second place in the People's Choice Award poll. We spoke to two RHS Begonia enthusiasts, Phil Clayton, Deputy Editor of The Garden magazine, and Editorial Projects Assistant, Melissa Mabbitt, about what makes this bloom so popular. There's a huge number of different sorts of begonias. I think people get a little bit confused by the different kinds. The tuberous begonias are ones which are used often as bedding plants, as things for hanging baskets, and they grow from a tuber. And the key thing is that that tuber can be kept from year to year. So although they're a seasonal plant, they will last for several years. They get confused with other sorts of bedding begonias. The fibrous begonias are the most commonly grown ones, also known as wax begonias, aren't they? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, those are smaller plants, shiny leaves, usually green or bronze, pinks or reds or sometimes whites. Yeah. And they're really good for really small, shady locations. If you've got a pot in a shady passageway or something, then that's a really good place to grow them, again, mm-hmm. outside. But they are annuals, those. They more or less finish at the end of the year. You toss them out and buy new ones next year. But the tuberous ones, you can keep. Then, of course, there's the houseplant ones, aren't there, Melissa? Yeah, Yeah, so there's lovely, beautiful foliage ones. There's also other ones you can grow outside, which are the what you'd call the cane types which are kind of big more sort of statuesque begonias so there's just so many different types but Mm. the ones that I think are really coming into fashion maybe having a bit of a revival are the ones that have won the people's choice award because they're just so big the colors are really luminous and they I think new breeding is making them better so they're just fantastic plants to look at now and they're definitely my favorites I really like the big blousy, dare I say it, quite brash begonias that you see in hanging baskets outside pubs. So these are the tuberous ones, aren't they? Yes, I think so, yeah. But they're very much like the ones that have won the People's Choice Award. I think the best ones for me are the ones that come in kind of apricot, peachy shades. And then I've seen them grown beautifully with really, really big fuchsias, big hanging basket fuchsias, with, especially if there's a bit of purple in that fuchsia. I think the peachy shades of the begonia and the fuchsia shades are kind of purpley violet shades really contrast beautifully. Sounds interesting. So that's, yeah, and it's definitely got wow factors not for the faint-hearted you know so unashamedly candy colored arrangements but i love them i've got one right now in my covered porch of my victorian house so it's it's open to the elements but it's grown sort of at a high level above your head it's a just a very ordinary one i bought from a garden center it's got white flowers and the great thing about it is it's looking at its best right now so what are we now middle of october nearly Mm. and it is perfect and I nearly always grow one of these begonias in the same position and I would say that it flowers probably until Christmas until we get the first really heavy frost because where it is light frost won't really touch it but a really heavy frost will then finish it off some of them are surprisingly hardy aren't they like Mm. as you said so it's some of the foliage types and it's worth having a look at the RHS website because I'm sure we've got information there on some that are increasingly hardy I think there's been some new breeding with some of those kind of hardy genes have been bred in so that because they're kind of a mountainous plant so you might get away with just a mulch over winter as they die back Boliviantis is a lovely species with red flowers like flame red Mm, scarlet flowers almost a bit like a fuchsia itself actually Uh, and again they complement each other quite well actually yeah Yeah, they probably come from similar locations in some cases and you one of your favorites is it glowing embers you really love glowing embers is quite a new cultivar of uh, begonia it's been on the market for about the last four or five years and it's won loads of awards just simply because it is such a good doer 
it has much smaller flowers than the tuberous begonias we're talking about so these are more like the flowers you get on the fibrous types the wax type but they are shrieking orange like inferno color they are themselves carried above this foliage which is really dark purple foliage but veined in silver Mm. so you get this amazing effect of this ball of silvery purple foliage and then this top dress almost of fiery flowers so it's really cool And I think one of the things that makes the flowers so attractive on all the types is their waxiness of them. Mm. You know, I know there are waxy ones, but they've all got that kind of like a sheen to them. It's sparkle, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it gives them a little bit of glow, especially with those peachy colours or the warmer tones. It just gives them that extra light, bit of reflective light off them. makes them special. It's also their ease of cultivation, though, because Mm. these are plants that will grow really quite well in shade. We talk about bedding plants, but nine out of ten bedding plants really need quite a lot of sun. Busy Lizzie's were the big thing, but of course they went out because we had all the problems with disease. Mm. We're left really with begonias, and they are the ideal thing for a cool, shady, moist spot. Having said that, they will even stand some sun, and they will stand a little bit of drought. If you forget to water them, they might flop a bit, but as soon as you've watered them, within the hour, they're back to their previous best, aren't they? Yeah, they're really easy. Even if you do want to overwinter the tuberous types, that's very easy as well. So I've seen people overwintering them just in actually hanging them up in tights, which is a random <laughs> random way to do it. So, But I think the classic way is to put them in some compost. So you clean all the leaves off, clean all the stems off, get a kind of seed tray, fill it with some compost that's just moist and then nestle them in, mm. inverted or concave side up. Then you just kind of keep them somewhere frost-free over winter and that's it. It's really easy. So with begonias and other tender plants, you have to overwinter them under cover because they're frost tender. So when you're overwintering something, you don't necessarily want it to grow. You just want to keep it to the next season. And with some plants like begonias, it's their dormant season. So uh, they're not growing. There's no leafy top growth. It's just really the roots that you're keeping over winter. So dahlias are another example. Cannas are a third. You're basically keeping the roots going until the spring when they'll start to grow away actively again. Phil Clayton and Melissa Mabbitt. You can find lots more information on begonias on our website. Or better still, check out the hanging baskets outside a pub near you. Quick, before the first frost, stop them in their tracks. Well, that's all we've got time for today. Next time, terrific terrariums and ultraviolet gardens, perfect for Halloween. We report from the innovative RHS Urban Garden Show. Until then, from me, Guy Barza, and all the podcast team, goodbye. I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. 
Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine and so much more. Terms and conditions apply. <laughs> 